Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. Robotic surgery at MUSE Health is making life-changing procedures, such as the most complex bariatric surgeries, accessible to more people than ever before. Dr. Rana Pulat is leading this transformational work at MUSC Health in the areas of foregut, hernia, and bariatric surgery. He is a professor of surgery and serves as the clinical director of bariatric and robotic surgery. He joins me today to talk about how robotic surgery is used at MUSC Health and how patients can benefit from these cutting-edge procedures. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I know some colleagues here at MUSC Health affectionately call you Dr. Robot. You've completed more than 1,200 robotic surgeries. Tell me how you became interested in using robotics in the surgeries that you do. Yeah, initially in uh, GI surgery, the robot was seen as a gimmick more than anything else. It was considered some kind of technology that really won't stay. It's another little gimmick that comes and it'll go away. So in 2008-2009, when I first was exposed to the robotic platform, even though it was a previous iteration, it blew my mind. I felt this was transformational. So about 2010-2011 was when I started training on the robot. I um, attended some of the labs they had, as well as watched procedural videos, and then kind of took it head-on train myself initially with simple procedures. So I was one of the first few who started doing this for hernia surgeries, kind of built a name in that field using robotics, then expanded to include all of general and GI surgery. Give us an idea of what the tools look like. We're talking about the robot. What does it look like? How do you use it? There's a general perception by the public that It's an actual, you know, when in popular culture, a robot's like this clunky humanoid creature that walks around almost like a tin man. This is quite completely different. This is a sophisticated machine. The robot doesn't think for itself. It's an extremely precise instrument. So it's an extension of your hands. Basically, it's the surgeon who does the entire surgery. The only difference is instead of using laparoscopic or open instruments, the surgeon uses robotic instruments, which are inserted into the patient's body, just like how we would insert laparoscopic instruments. So ultimately, the surgeon is the one who's doing the entire procedure. Every step of it, the robot just refines any movements, takes away all the tremors, and makes doing fine critical surgery much easier. So you started off with the hernia surgery. Then what? And how is it being used now at MUSC Health? So then I expanded it to all of general surgery. We started doing gallbladders. We started doing foregut surgery, which is surgery that we do for acid reflux, uh, nissen procedures. Then for hernias of the stomach that go into the chest, we started using for that. And then finally, we started using them for bariatric surgery, for sleeve gastrectomies, gastric bypasses, and more complex procedure called the duodenal switch. Currently, we do all 
of our primary bariatric surgery as well as revisional bariatric surgeries robotically because it offers greater precision as well as we've gotten good enough that our robotic times now are actually lower than our laparoscopic times, which was one of the initial criticisms of the robot that it takes time. It takes longer than laparoscopy. The setup is longer. But as you get more experience to it, it's a very, for lack of better terms, because the company is called intuitive, a very intuitive machine where you become an extension of it and you work pretty harmoniously and it's a, a seamless progression of the surgery. How unusual is it to have this many robotic surgeries taking place at a big academic healthcare center? For South Carolina, of course, we are the probably the only academic center using the robot in all procedures, in all aspects. We do everything from cardiac surgery, colorectal, bariatric surgery, foregut surgery, thoracic surgery, even our trauma critical care surgeons use it. So it's pretty unusual for South Carolina. In North Carolina as well, the adoption rate has been lower. So in the Carolinas, we're the leading robotic center, so to speak. But across the nation, academic centers have woken up to the possibilities of this transformational technology and have been doing really well with it. I want to focus on this duodenal switch surgery. You were actually the first surgeon in South Carolina to perform this procedure. Tell me about this procedure and how you became one of the experts in doing this robotically. The duodenal switch procedure is a procedure that's reserved for the super obese patients. So it's a technically very challenging operation where we go in and do a lot of complex dissection of the duodenum in people who are 400, 500 pounds, even up to 700 pounds. And there's a lot of dissection around critical structures as well as suturing that is involved in performing this procedure. I went, saw the procedure being done by one of the uh, nation's experts, and then he was one of the few surgeons performing them laparoscopically in good numbers. And then I came back in 2015 and performed the first one in South Carolina. And then from there on, I started using the robotic platform to perform it. At one point of time, I was doing them equally with the laparoscope and the robot. But right now, we use the robot exclusively for the duodenal switch procedure, because especially in people whose BMIs are 94, 95, which these patients are almost 650 to 700 pounds, the amount of abdominal torque that is required that we work against if you're doing conventional laparoscopic suturing is a lot. Being able to use the robot really helps us to suture better and with greater precision. This is a very difficult procedure to do. Tell me, before you could do this robotically, how difficult was it to do bariatric surgery on people with these very high BMIs? We as bariatric and laparoscopic surgeons get used to it, but our body takes a real beating when we do this procedure. Our wrists, our fingers, there's a lot of workplace injury, and um, that's becoming very evident. My senior partner has an extremely bad back and knees from just leaning over and standing and doing these procedures for hours. So I think this ultimately preserves the surgeon's joints, surgeon's, the skill level is preserved, you know, the natural tremor that comes 
as you get older, is taken away by the robot. So you have a longevity for the surgeon. All that experience that the surgeon has is still preserved because the physical faculties are now assisted by the robot. So it prolongs surgeons' careers, and that translates to better patient outcomes. And was there some case where some surgery centers just would not accept these patients because of how difficult? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there are several. Right now, we are one of the few centers in the whole Carolinas region that do routine duodenal switches on high BMI patients. There are several centers that limit their BMIs to a certain BMI beyond which they will not offer elective bariatric surgery, certainly not do a single-stage duodenal switch procedure. Our highest BMI thus far has been a 93 BMI patient whom we were able to do a single-stage switch. Just tell me the difference between traditional bariatric surgery and this procedure and why this procedure makes more sense for people with the very high BMIs. This procedure, for lack of better terms, the sleeve gastrectomy and the gastric bypass are the more commoner procedures. And the duodenal switch is still a very small percentage of procedures done around the country because it's a more complex operation, requires more follow-up as well as requires more technical skill. The sleeve gastrectomy is the most commonly performed operation around the country. It's a much less challenging operation, and it gives good results, but it works well up to a BMI of 45 to 50, beyond which I think the operation does not, for lack of better terms, have enough horsepower to work on high BMI patients. The gastric bypass has several advantages while compared to the sleeve as far as reflux is concerned. But in the long term, weight loss is not radically different between the sleeve and the gastric bypass. The duodenal switch procedure is a sleeve with a combination of short-circuiting the small bowel, which ultimately absorbs your nutrients. So it allows the patient to eat a certain quantity and absorb much lesser. So there's a component of hypoabsorption. So this allows for greater weight loss, as well as it allows for a cascade of hormones that are set off because the food first goes to the small bowel, which is farther away from the duodenum. And we know that the food going to the lower part of the intestine sets off a cascade of hormones, which allows for improved metabolic health and improved weight loss. And you have seen that. You have seen success stories from your patients who've had the procedure. Tell me about some of those great success stories. Absolutely. I mean, we see this every day. You know, every day patients come and thank us for transforming their life, for saving their life. It's bariatric surgery is very rewarding in that it's almost uh, completely changes a patient's aspect, changes a patient's life. Everyone who tries to lose weight knows how frustrating it can be. Beyond a certain weight and a BMI, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to lose the weight because the hormonal mechanism as well as the metabolic phenomenon that you're fighting works throughout all 24 hours versus you're awake and your willpower and all of it you're working against a huge set of hormones and cascade of metabolic derangements that you're not able to overcome. 
So these patients are truly suffer, and then it becomes a vicious cycle. And once the weight keeps piling on, it becomes very, very difficult to get them to lose a significant amount of weight. So we see success stories all the time. I have any number of 600 plus who are now 250, 275 pounds. That's almost not carrying 400 pounds and walking around. So things that are very simple that we all take for granted, like personal hygiene, tying your shoelaces, you know, caring for yourself, playing with your kids, all of this are impossible tasks. They become almost prisoners in their own houses. So it becomes a very, very transformational aspect of their life. Uh, once you give their health back, once you give their mobility back, once you give them ability to integrate better with society. You know, there's not one success story. There are several people who were completely beat down by life and they wanted this chance and they've turned their lives completely around. I feel like it's not well known what you were talking about with the hormones and the metabolic response that people who are super obese have. Do you feel like that's well known even in the medical community? Everyone who's tried to lose even a, the extra four or five pounds, uh, what do we tend to do? We tend to try and eat less and exercise more. And, and what happens is when you try and eat less, your body starts thinking that it's in some sort of starvation mode and tries to hang on to calories, hang on to the weight even more. And it's a self-defeating process because most people give up after about three or four weeks and they're like, I've uh, given up. I mean, I've cut down significant amount of food. Their basal metabolic rate goes down and they start feeling terrible and their body slows down and then they hang on to the weight even more and then they get more frustrated. And this keeps happening. So there's a bunch of people who also try a bunch of other things like yo-yo dieting, and then the weight comes back faster because now you become more efficient at storing fat once you do those yo-yo diets. We have been talking quite a bit about super obese people with BMIs above 40 or 50, but that's not the majority of the work that you're doing with surgeries at MUSC Health. Tell me about that. Yes. So the majority of my patients are women and their BMIs are in the 35 and above category. So even if you have a BMI of 35, you qualify for weight loss surgery. And we know that beyond a BMI of 35, it becomes very, very difficult to lose that extra weight. So all the national criteria support weight loss surgery, even in that BMI criteria. What are your thoughts on the obesity epidemic? Will there be even a more need for this type of surgery in years to come. Unless there's very strict food regulation as far as food scientists go. So we can't look at it in an isolated fashion. We can't say, you know, oh yeah, look at this obese patient. It's his responsibility. You know, he is the one who's, he or she is the one who's eating too much. But uh, think of the situation where you have a single mother who's working a couple of jobs to make ends meet. And she has two kids at her house. And the only thing she can do at the end of her day while driving back is the easiest place to get it is some fast food that she knows that she can get for cheap and goes to a fast food joint, picks up fast food, feeds her kids. And these fast food places 
work with food scientists who know how to make the food taste in a particular way to make it almost addicting because they want them to come back. So what chance does a two-year-old who's been fed fast food all their life have, you know, and suddenly as an adult, it becomes your own responsibility. So I think there's a huge societal responsibility towards the obesity epidemic. There needs to be better regulation. There needs to be just like, you know, say cigarette smoking is injurious to your health. There needs to be more warnings. There needs to be some sort of limit on salt, you know, those kind of things, how food can be altered, emphasis on healthier eating. I think as a society, we need to change, but I don't see that happening in one generation. So I think it'll change maybe slowly, but for sure right now, we're just seeing the tip of the obesity epidemic. How do you support your patients once they've gone through this procedure? There is special diets that they have to adhere to afterwards. What happens after the procedure to make sure that these folks can be successful? So we um, obviously work as a team. We have a psychologist. We have a dietitian. These patients are frequently counseled. They're obviously counseled before surgery. And then after surgery, they have a rigorous follow-up with our dietitians. They also have psychological support if they need it. It might be changing your diet, but it's all there is is it's healthy eating but with lower quantities and lower calories, being more conscious of food labels. So those kind of things, you know, our dietitians, even preoperatively, take patients to food markets where they are taught to read a label. You know, there are people who've never looked at a food label and see what ingredients are in there. So make them conscious of those kind of uh, small things, those changes that they can make. Back to the robotic surgery in general at MUSC Health, how do you see robotic surgery continuing and expanding at MUSC Health? So ultimately, I think the robot's going to be another tool. It's going to lose some of its sexiness because it's going to become ubiquitous. I think everyone's going to use it because it becomes an extension of the surgeon and surgery is going to become less So the quality of surgery is going to become less different between surgeons because the robot can be a great leveling platform. So it can deliver a measurable quality and improve the overall quality of surgery. So it'll be less dependent on, oh, this person's a fantastic surgeon with good hands versus another person who may not have the same hand-eye coordination versus the robot can be an equalizing tool between the two surgeons. The other way, I think, would be to, you know, my long-term vision is to connect the MUSC network in different hospitals and be able to proctor surgeons or take over cases that are difficult through tele-surgery. So the robots can be connected over a 5G network. And uh, basically, if there's a rural surgeon in the MUSC network who needs some help or he needs an assistant then we would be able to log on from, say, MUSC Charleston to help. How far away could that technology be? So, you know, as an experiment, it's already been done as early as 2001. There was a French team of surgeons who operated on a, on a lady in France. They took her gallbladder out from New York. And it's called the Operation Lindbergh. 
And it was done to showcase French technology as well as French surgery. And it's been done and it's, there are places in the world that are doing it right now. I think uh, in the US, it's got to do a lot with um, medical legal aspects of those kind of uh, practices. So we need to work through some hoops before we can make that into a reality. That's very exciting news. And it's something that we will be keeping our eye on. Before we wrap up today, I would love for you to answer the question that we ask everybody on this show. And that's what do you do to optimize your health and live well? One of the things is to have a very balanced life. I do use a personal trainer at I because it's almost like I'm responsible with the personal trainer. You know, there's some responsibility or there's this person waiting for me. So I try and keep at least 45 minutes to an hour a couple of times a a week to work out with this person. Then I do my own training for about two times a week. So at least four to five days, I do some sort of physical fitness training. Then spending quality time with friends as well as your family That is what keeps me going outside of work. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate all your insights. Thank you very much. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.